Thus far, from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 2 to 13. I don't know whether you appreciate this or not, but uh, Australia is... One of the great things about Australia is that if you want to go for a walk in the bush, there are plenty of walkways and bushwalks and pathways right around our city and outside of the city, whether you're going to the Blue Mountains, north, south, so many other places and just really encouraging to, to see that when, when you go out. Thousands of walks. Just want to go for a stride and appreciate God's nature and uh, not a lot of places uh, around the world have those uh, facilities. In the old days, before GPS, we would use a, a thing called a map. A map uh, used to be on, on paper. You know, this is paper. <coughs> it's, uh, sometimes it's recycled. They, they make it out of trees, believe it or not. Um, I know it's, it's hard to relate to this, but, but if you went, <coughs> went bushwalking, what you really needed as well, I'm, I'm talking if you go outside to the more untamed country, uh, what you would really need is a, is a compass and a topographical map that gives you the, the different heights at different measurements, you know, every 20, 25 metres, and you have these circles and others, that, that's the peak, that's the low point. And so you work your way through valleys and, and, and hills, essential, so you don't get lost. Of course, one of the things that is important is to be able to read a map. So you're able to relate to what you're seeing on paper to what you are seeing out there and make a connection. And this is not always easy. Years ago I took uh, the youth group from my previous church on a hike. We had a map and we still got lost. Maybe we needed a compass as well, but small detail. So we ended up going to a different place to the one that we were planning. And when there, you know, we really got a little bit lost because there were so many gullies, you know, we're right in the middle of a valley and uh, mountains on either side, it's easy to get lost. So what sometimes we would do is that we would um, send somebody, probably usually the fittest person in the youth group, to go to the top of the hill and just see where, where we were, um, to see where the direction, get to the top and <clears throat> give us an idea of where we were going, where we have come from and where we were going to. Interestingly, the scene in our reading here <clears throat> is appropriately placed in the hills of Canaan. Some 3,000 years ago, the people of Israel were in a spot of bother once again. Surprise, surprise. And the prophet Samuel, who was the spiritual leader of the nation, knew that what was happening was what was happening physically in the nation was a result, a direct result of what was happening spiritually. And we saw 
we see this cycle in the book of Judges. From sin to servitude, the people cry out and they cry to God, God delivers them and then they go back into sin and the whole cycle, you know, rinse and repeat as they say. The task of a prophet, the task of a judge is to be the go-between God and the people to bring a message from God and to take the, the, the cry, the, 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 re, the remorse of the people back to God, to cry out to God on behalf of the people. So sometimes it's message from God, sometimes it's the repentance of the people back to God. And the prophet is in between. In this case, of course, no surprises again, it was once more the idolatry of the people and their evil deeds which brought a a devastating defeat before the Philistines. And and this is actually one of the the low, very low points in Israel's history. The old priesthood priesthood was gone with the, the death of Eli and his sons his sons were corrupt. They didn't follow in dad's footsteps. What is worse is that the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the, the very presence of God in the midst of his people, that was captured by the Philistines. And what they now needed was a spiritual renewal. They needed to get back to God. So Samuel says to the whole of the house of Israel in in chapter 7, verse 3, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourself of the foreign gods and Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you. So to start this process of renewal and restoration, Samuel does something symbolic and significant. He grabs a rock, a stone, and places it and calls it Ebenezer, saying, thus far has the Lord helped us. That's what it means, the name, the word Ebenezer. So as we come to the end of 2020, I think it is a great declaration for us to say this as well. And we're going to look at it in three parts. Seeing God in the past, seeing God in the present and looking to God for the future. So let's start first of all by seeing God in the past. Thus far has the Lord helped us. Now I grew up hearing this expression in in our house. I grew up in a Christian home and my father was, um, was a pastor and my dad used to say it especially when there was something significant uh, happening to the family or the church that he was ministering to. Or even after we came to Australia the first time in 1973. So it could have been a new place, recovering from a difficult situation, a difficult trial, or or just being thankful to God for, for God's goodness in our family, in, in, in our lives. 
And I used to hear it. And maybe I, when I was young, I didn't appreciate the, the full impact of why God used Dad to, to repeat those, those words. So why did he use it? And maybe even what right did he have to use it? I mean, how did he know that it was God who was helping us and not just <coughs> and not just some uh, human ingenuity, some cleverness, just not hard work for all those years that, that got us here or even just sheer luck, as most people would say. Was he just fitting God into the events in our family and in the church so that it sounded more religious. He put God in there, you know? Well, I can tell you one thing, that certainly wasn't the case with my father as I knew very well that he meant every word of it. And the way that people will usually recognise us is through the things that we do. For example, a carpenter, a carpenter is known through the, through the work that he does. His reputation is linked to whether he does a good job or a bad job, whether you know, he's a bodgy, he's dodgy or, or what, whether he overcharges or he sticks to his budget and whether he delivers on time. And then based upon this, they will work out his character and his character will will be followed through, through word of mouth and his reputation will, will rise or fall according to what people say of him. With God, it is the other way around. We start off with God's character, holy, just, loving, faithful and so on and so forth. And then we get to know him through the things that he does or the things that he has done. And so here Samuel could speak of the hand of God because these tribes were able to see the hand of God in the past, in the, in the, in the hand of God, how he delivered their parents and grandparents in generations past, which confirmed the declaration about his character. The deliverance from Egypt, the, the conquest of the promised land under Joshua. One can see the, 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 how very God's character, God's history, God's deliverance was very much threaded into the very fabric of their life over many, many years. And now with this new generation, because as you know, each new generation has to recommit themselves to God. It's not just our faith. It's not just simply something that is inherent and automatic. Each generation has to recommit. And now this new people that have grown up perhaps felt entitled and maybe even ungrateful for the good things of the past so they tried to move away from God and just do their own thing. Shake God out of their lives. And of course, by doing this, there would be consequences. 
And this is why they found themselves where they were right now. And they needed to get back home, needed to get back to God to get things right. So Samuel says here, he took a stone and says it. This action was intentional, it was deliberate. He didn't just grab a stone or any stone and just threw it or dropped it somewhere. The Bible says that he set it, somewhat similar to taking a group photo to capture a moment, a place, a time, and saying, bang, that's, we, we, we set it. We seal it to, to remind ourselves of what happened in this place at this time years later. And you look at the photo and you say, yeah, I remember that. So this action was so that generations to come could identify with Samuel and his relationship with God. That's why we have the recording of it here. And this act represented the the very life of Samuel who was aptly called the, the greatest judge of Israel. A judge who walked in God's ways since the age of five and dedicated to God by his, his mother, even before conception. So we can see this special relationship between God and Samuel that was now hopefully rubbing off on the rest of the nation. Now if you consider yourself a true believer, you understand, you should understand what this means. It is much more than just accepting God as a reasonable, acceptable proposition and and go on the rest of your days treating him no more than an app on your smartphone. Something that you click on, oh, there, God, there's an app for it. You need to know that it means... A total surrender to him, to his will. It means walking, talking, praising, living with him by your side. It's not about compartmentalising this part is God, this is me, this is work, this is study, this is my friends, this is my investments. It's, It's all. All consuming. Every area. This is the journey of the Christian, the man, the woman of faith. And this is exactly what the Bible means when it says the righteous will live by faith. That means that all of your life will be characterized by this way of living, living by faith. So it is important every now and then to pause, particularly on this last Sunday of a difficult year, to pause and look back before we move on the threshold of the the new year. It is just a number on a calendar. You do realise that, right? The problem 
with many of us is that rather than just pause, we uh, prefer to take an extended break with little motivation to get back up and continue the journey. And I think this is a big trap that as you get older, I certainly find this within myself as well, as you get older, these things called nostalgia and melancholy start to creep in. And when they set in, rather than looking hope to the future, you think, nah, I think I'll just stay here and just think about the past, good old days. So they're just rather than just, you know, stopping along the road and taking a picture and say, well, that's where we've been, but this is where we're going. You say, no, no, I'll just stay here. I'll just camp here. No, I'll build a house here. Just live it in the past. But we can't just go on like this with on past achievements, because in His Word. God is always urging us to new challenges because what he sends when you, when you stop in one place is that he sends prickles and spines and little things that, you know, says, I can't stay here. It's like uh, when you're camping and you've got no mattress and you're sleeping in this tent and there's always something, you know, under your bed or whatever, that you can't really sleep. You only sleep for half an hour, then you wake up again because it's so hot and uncomfortable. There is an incident in the Old Testament, and you know the story where Jacob, good old Jacob, is, is, is running away after cheating on his brother and, his, and then he, he sees the... What does he find? He gets, a, he gets a, a stone for a pillow. And you know what the symbolism there, I think, is that if you had a comfortable one of these U-Butte pillows that you carry with you, presents, I'll just stay here. I have a wonderful... No, his pillow was a stone. Why? Because it was uncomfortable. That was not a permanent place for him to be. It was a confirmation. God appeared to him. But he was moving somewhere. He had to get somewhere. And you know in your own life those uncomfortable things that sort of, you know, the thorn in the flesh that remind you, yeah, but this is not my permanent place. This is not where I'm, I'm meant to be. I'm, I'm into, and, and no, ultimately our journey is not this world. This is, this is temporary. Our journey is heaven. That's our destination. Don't get comfortable. That is the message right throughout the scriptures. He's urging us to new challenges. Which leads us to our second point. Looking at God in the present. Looking at God in the present. And I think these words thus far also look to God in the present. It is a moment to take stock, gather the troops, tackle the present challenges, making sure that we are ready 
for the next one. We need to be serving God here and now, not when there is a more convenient time, because that will never happen. Not when we retire, now. There is a well-known verse in the book of Acts, Acts 13, 36, which says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He served God's purpose, not his own purpose, not the next generation, not the past generation, but his generation. And when he did that, that was it. He went home to be with God. William Booth, the uh, founder of the Salvation Army, he once uh, said this, he says, Your days here on earth are not many, so use them the best way possible for the glory of God and for the benefit of your generation. Glory of God and for the benefit of your generation. And we come to this point that in the, in the scriptures there is, there's, always, there's almost this, this double language throughout the Bible. It is obvious that man cannot live without God but it is also evident that they really struggle to live with God. Let me explain. If you were to look at, the, at these previous chapters in 1 Samuel, especially chapters 4, 5 and, and 6, uh, the events that would be funny if he wasn't so serious is actually hilarious and tragic at the same time. The Philistines steal the Ark of the Covenant because they thought it would provide them with good luck. They were wrong. They were punished with an outbreak of tumours. Tumours, okay? Like Arnold. It's not a tumour, okay? Tumours. The stuff that we dread so much, right? So they, they moved the ark throughout the land and wherever the ark landed, the outbreak would start. So their leaders got together and tried to figure out a solution. So their priests and diviners and witch doctors, they got together um, and they said, well, the best thing we could do is to return the ark to the Israelites. Right? God always has a way, doesn't he? Not only that, not only that, but they returned it with gifts, <clears throat> solid gold, of gold in the form, not just bars of gold, but in the form of rats and tumours. So the gold was actually shaped in the form of a tumour. Now, how do you get the form of a tumour? And, and then get the guys, oh, I want you to sculpt a tumour for me. Because... We're going to send it in a form of gold as a gift to the Israelites. That's funny, isn't it? It's bizarre. 
weed. If they remove the tumor out of you, the last thing you want to do is to keep it a memento in the, you know. But that piece off, that wasn't my tumor. I just, you know, thought I'd keep it there so everybody can admire. Really? Okay. When the ark is returned, the Israelites start rejoicing. Celebrating. Happy. The ark is back. Great. Then some 70 Israelites decide out of curiosity to open the ark, have a look inside. Guess what happened to them? They died. Struck down. So much for the celebration. And, 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 and they said, what happened here, guys? All these Guys, just 70 of them just dropped dead. And so, and so they came up with this, with, they were filled with fear and dread. And, they, and they, in 1 Samuel 6.20, they said, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? And this is what holiness does. When you want to get close to God, live in holiness, start taking your faith seriously, you will see challenges, many, many challenges in your life. We sing those words, purify my heart, as if this whole purification thing is easy. It's, it's, it's really hard. It's painful. No, because it involves getting rid of stuff. It involves change. And none of us, It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's not supposed to be easy. And I think this is one of the reasons why most Christians prefer to meander through life. You know, not hot, not cold. They don't want to upset God too much. They just want to do enough. Just, you know, don't get too serious. Not too, just just enough to get by. And then they don't want to upset the devil too much either because he can cause hassles. So don't upset God, don't upset the devil. Actually, one of the cults in, uh, in Brazil, which has African origins, um, Macumba, actually they have their own little temple and so inside this temple there are different demonic figures that you're supposed to give an offering to. So there is Jesus, there is the devil, and you need to keep Jesus at peace. You need to keep the devil at peace so that your life is normal and good. You give him an offering, both to God and the devil. Bizarre, right? But no, actually this is how many prefer to live their life. And I think this is one of the reasons why the Englishman Leonard Ravenhill once said, we live in a day when people are more afraid of holiness than they are of sinfulness. I repeat it. We live in a day when people are more afraid of holiness than they are of sinfulness. Looking to God in the future. Now we have all inherited something from the past. We have it for a while in the present 
but we need to consider ourselves as safe keepers for the future. Uh, This is why these words thus far also looks in hope to the future, recognise it. Thus far is not just a, a fixed point in history, in time and on a map, it's looking ahead. Come so far, but we have a long way to go. And Israel's, interestingly enough, Israel's greatest days were still ahead of her. There will be a changing of the guard from the system of judges to a a royal system through kings and Saul and David and his dynasty. Unfortunately, just as Eli's sons were corrupt, Samuel's own sons were also going to be corrupt and they didn't walk in the steps of their great father as well. Eventually Samuel will anoint the great David but will not see his kingdom flourish. And through David's lineage, of course, David's own descendants, they will be somewhat of a disappointment as well until, until the greatest king, the Lord himself, would come. But that was still a thousand years down the line. A thousand years. And sometimes we can try and move ahead of ourselves, um, get things done quickly, hurry God and say, come on God, I've got all day, I've got all life. God, you know, just puts the brakes on. Sometimes it's a handbrake. Over my years of ministry, I have at times been pressured to speak more on prophecies not just in a general way, but more specific. And I can understand this because in uncertain times, people yearn for more certainty. Yes, I can say I will try and understand the times in the light of God's word and I will try and interpret them as much as I can, but I hesitate in my sermons to promise things that God will do and things that God won't do. I will not push God's words to the point that God will serve my interpretation and my purposes just so that we can be relaxed a little. And this is, again, this is a big problem with prosperity theology which has a tendency to get God to do what you want because of your prayer, because of your faith, then God will do it. So God is no more than Santa Claus or a genie in a bottle who will do your, your bidding. It doesn't work like that. He's sovereign, he's omnipotent, he's almighty. He does what he wills, when he wills, how he wills. He is God. We are not. Listen to what James says in James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. Especially if we look into the, into the future, we need to listen to this. Now listen, James says, Listen. Pay attention, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, make some mullah, yeah. Why? Why? Why you don't even know what you will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, 
We will live and do this or that. For many, let's be honest, for many of our brothers and sisters, the Lord's will is and or might mean hunger, persecution, suffering, injustice, prolonged illness, even death. I don't know if all of us will be here this time next year. Only God knows. Our comfort, please understand this, our comfort is way down the list of God's priorities for your life and mine. God's priority is to get us to glory. And Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that God will not share his glory with anyone or anything. This is why we must see less of us, more of him. Let's aim to see less of our toil and heartache and more of his grace in the midst of our difficulties. I will remind you again from the words of John that we spoke of on Christmas Day. John 1.16 from We have received, we are receiving, we will receive from his fullness. And we will continue to do that. We will continue to receive it based on his mercy. Let me put it another way. Here in Australia, we can, in a way that we can understand here in Australia, it, it might mean being troubled, uncomfortable, unsettled. For us, the future is uncertain, but the future is sure in God's hands because He is already there. He's already there. And I wish I could promise you certainty, but I can't. And I wish that the unsettled times that we live in, that they will calm down. They won't. I actually see more difficult days ahead. But I also see God's presence with us. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't live in fear like the rest of the world. If you fear God as a believer, you have nothing to fear from this world. Nothing. So do we rest on our past victories or do we prepare for the next challenge? May our faith in God grow. May it continue to not just grow and survive but flourish because the world needs Christ more than ever. May God bless us. Amen.